Hey everybody, I'm Logan Camden. I'm Carson Brabber. And this is Nerd Sesh. No! Oh my god, how could he do that? Are you on Donate? What? Charles Darwin. All right, welcome everybody into season two of Nerd Sesh. After taking a few weeks off, we are back, and it's a great time to be back because although we enjoyed filling the last few months with talking about sports history as much as anyone I would imagine, and it was a riot, no doubt about it, there's nothing like having live sports back, and luckily that is the situation we're in now where if anyone cared about baseball, maybe that would be something to be excited about. But me personally, I'm enjoying watching some NBA scrimmages, which is a tune-up to the NBA season restart which begins in three days. So today, Logan and I are each going to give five bold predictions for the rest of the regular season as far as the restart goes. So Logan, I'm going to throw it over to you. What's your first bold prediction? My first, I don't know if this is extremely bold. I wanted to start maybe mild and then build my way up. Okay, like hot ones? The Pelican, yeah, 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 pretty much. I think the Pelicans make the playoffs and Zion Williamson makes a genuine rookie of the year run. and. The only reason why is because I think people are going to clearly be focused on what happens in the bubble, moreover, what happened during the season. And I feel like John Morant could get sold on, and I think the NBA wants to push Zion to be the rookie of the year. But the schedule isn't exceptionally easy for the Pelicans. They're still going to have some tough opponents. Uh, Jazz Clippers, and then they've got, you know, we've got Zion and Ja going head-to-head Grizzlies. Wizards, Spurs, Magic, and Kings twice is where it kind of falls off for me, and I think the Pelicans have some easy wins. The Wizards without Bradley Beal, the Spurs without LaMarcus Aldridge, the Magic just can't play offense, and they play the Kings twice. So, I mean, they're, they're tossing up softballs to the Pelicans. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't well, know if you watched. Last, last thing, Carson. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you watched. Colin Cowherd was making his NBA award predictions, and he said, j- just to check Colin, one of his stats that he threw out there was people didn't expect Zion to come into the NBA and be able to shoot three-pointers. He said he shot 46% in 19 games. Well, Colin, when the sample size is 6 of 13, yeah, I felt f- uh, he, he sold on him for that. And five of them were literally from his debut. Exactly. When, when weirdly, the only thing that he could really do effectively was knock down threes. Um, okay, that's a, that's a warm take. The really hot take is Zion winning Rookie of the Year, which just, in my opinion, will not happen because I think that now, you know, there was talk about the possibility of that had they played out the entire season. The man's going to play 27 games, and while I think that you're right that the bubble will be overvalued, although actually I think that they might be voting before the bubble. In fact, I'm pretty sure that they are. So in that case, there's no way that happens. But as far as the Pelicans making the playoffs – they do have, I believe, statistically the easiest strength of, strength of schedule left. Their last six games are all against sub-500 teams, which is pretty crazy when you're talking about the bubble where the majority of teams are of a pretty high quality. And I completely think it's feasible that they could end up getting into that playing game at the very least. Them and the Blazers are right now tied in the standings, along with the Sacramento Kings. Shout out the Kings, who also have a pretty easy schedule. Uh, Blazers, I would say with Nurkic back and with Zach Collins are a definitely a more talented team. They have a much tougher schedule though. So I could definitely see the Pelicans getting in there. And then if it gets to a play-in game, I would say that they are the better team than the Memphis Grizzlies. 
Can they beat them back to back, which is what you have to do? I don't know. It's certainly possible. And I'm sure a lot of people would agree with you on that. Um, but we'll have to wait and see how it plays out. But as far as rookie of the year, I do think that that is sealed and it might be officially sealed because I don't know when the voting is final, but I know Zach Lowe's been releasing his ballot. And I think that I'm pretty sure that they're, um, that they're finalizing their votes in the next couple of days at the very least. My first bold prediction is a little bit hotter than that. And I went really bold on these because I kind of just took ideas that I had and took them to the more extreme. But my first one is that Karis LeVert averages 25 or more points per game in the bubble. And Rui Hachimura averages 20 or more points per game in the bubble. So 25 for LeVert, 20 for Hachimura. And this one's hot. The reason that I'm doing these two together is because obviously it's the two teams where basically all of their quality players are out for the Nets. It's everyone from obviously the two major stars, Katie and Kyrie. And then you go to Dinwiddie and Torrey and Prince, DeAndre Jordan, if he were a quality player, unfortunately he isn't. For the Wizards, it's Bradley Beal and Davis Bertans, who are by far their two best players this season. But starting with Levert, he's averaged just about 18 a game this year. But since February 3rd, over his last 16 games, he's already averaging 24, 5, and 5 on 45, 41, 80 splits. And then when you take out Dinwiddie, who is a 20-plus point-per-game scorer, who I thought was a borderline all-star when he was really carrying this team earlier in the season while Levert was injured, he's the primary ball handler and offensive option. That now all goes away, and you're looking at a guy like Joe Harris being the second most gifted offensive player on this team who is really almost entirely an off-ball, spot-up shooting weapon. And the thing is, you know, Levert can kind of run point for you. He's a good playmaker. He has a strong handle. Uh, he has instincts, as I mentioned, both as a scorer and as a passer, and he can attack from all three levels. But it's not just that, that it is logical for them to make him the center of their offense and let him just kind of handle the ball and go a little bit in a James Harden, Bradley Beal, heliocentric style. It's that he's confident enough to shoot that much. You know, not every guy thinks that they are deserving of going out there and taking 25, 30 shots. You know, Levert scored 50 this year. As I mentioned, he was already scoring 24 a game over the last 16. So he's a guy whose last two years have been completely injury riddled. And he's overshadowed on this team. Although he got extended, you do have guys like Katie and Kyrie, absolute superstars coming into the mix. And then also with Spencer Dinwiddie, who has stepped up as the alpha for most of their time together. I would be a little bit concerned about a guy like Tyler Johnson coming in. And just because he is a natural scorer, and he certainly thinks very highly of himself, I think he could get close to like 15 a game, which might make this a little bit harder on Levert because their acquisitions, him and then also Jamal Crawford, those are guys who just really are going out there to score and not do much else, but they're just going to put the ball in Levert's hands more. I don't really think Jay Crossover is going to play much at all. Levert's the long-term piece. He's the smarter player. He's not a minus on defense like Tyler Johnson or Jamal Crawford. He's a better playmaker. So that's it on the Levert front. And then for Hachimura, it's really just a similar, uh, it's a similar idea. I just don't think he's as good as Levert. I don't think he's nearly as established. He's played very well in the bubble. He had 18 of the Wizards, 82 points in his first game. He took 17 shots last game. So it does seem like he's the guy who's filling that void. Only averaging 13.4 a game on the season. But when you take out Beal and Bertans, that's 46 combined points per game. And I just think Hachimura, he can do it with or without the ball. He's a great off-ball mover. He's a powerful driver. Obviously a killer mid-range game. Do I wish that he didn't step in and take so many 18 and 20 footers? Yes, but that's just his nature as a rookie. And I just, you know, it's not that either of these guys are going to be particularly efficient. Hachimura is still 
Not all that great from three. Lavert is generally like a 41, 42% shooter from the field. It's mostly about the opportunity, but I do like both of their skill sets. I've become a particular Rui Hachimura advocate during the quarantine because I took him third overall in a 2019 NBA redraft, which Carvel, <laughs> who I do my other NBA podcast with, was quite appalled by. But I stand by it. I'm all in on the Hotch, and uh, that's a spicy one, Logan. What do you think? Carson, I am so glad that, that you picked both of these guys because I think they're both the prime candidates for jumps in production. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lavert, I think, is a good pick because without uh, KD, without Kyrie, the open up, especially, in, um, especially there. And then, of course, uh, Washington is depleted. I yeah. think Washington is going to be a bona fide G League team. Yeah. They have no Bradley Beal, no Davis Burton. A lot of Roy Hachimura action. And I'm interested in how the Wizards cope because Scotty Brooks has done such a phenomenal team of maximizing talent, or done such a phenomenal job of maximizing talent with this team, whether it's Jordan McRae coming in and filling the void for Bradley Beal when he was injured earlier in the season and still running that offense really effectively or just getting production out of a guy like Thomas Bryant or even when Anses Pasesniks has played with them, he's been pretty productive. Mo Wagner's had a really good year. Um, so I want to see sort of who he gives the keys to the offense to. Maybe we'll see a little bit more Jerome Robinson. I hope we don't see too much Ish Smith. I'm a little bit worried about that because Ish Smith is the kind of guy who's confident enough to think maybe I deserve to step up. But Hachimura, he's your 21-year-old top 10 pick who has had a really good season, who through a couple scrimmages has shown that he wants to be the guy for this team down the stretch. And I hope that it's him who takes over. It would certainly be the most exciting outcome. So let's move on. Logan, what is your second bold prediction? Carson, I think Ben Simmons and Giannis Antetokounmpo will both shoot over 35% from deep in the restart on the bubble. I think Simmons, what we've seen, I'm just excited that Simmons is going to try to shoot, that he's going that there's not a lot of mental block stopping him if there's an open three-pointer from chucking it up there. He's going to start making it. I know he can do it in practice. And I don't know, hearing he talked with a psychologist, whatever Ben went through that we didn't see, I'm confident in his ability to shoot the tray. And Giannis, Giannis is already up over 30% this season anyway. I think in this time that he's had to practice, I think Giannis has been grinding because I know he's a grinder. And I don't think 35% is – out of the realm of possibility. I think anything higher than that is a little unrealistic, but 35%, I think, is an attainable goal for both of them. Yeah, well, we've seen stretches of shooting like that from Giannis. He's very hot and cold, and there are games where he can't hit anything, and there are games where he will make five of six, and those games where he makes five of six, the dude is literally unstoppable. I don't know how much better of a shooter he'll be just because I think he works on it so much as is, and it's really for him. The next step is... Totally just knocking down the open ones as part of it, but it's the fluidity and being able to shoot it off the dribble and shoot it off the catch without having to take his one really strong rhythm dribble that he likes to do. I could definitely see Giannis doing it because it's just eight games. If Ben Simmons does it, it's going to have to be like two for five because I like, the, I like the promise that we saw from him confidently stepping into that three and hitting it the other day. I'm just not convinced that that's totally sustainable. He will have more space to work with, but... What we have to remember, and I am going to totally be hypocritical when I say this uh, later because I'm going to have uh, another take about someone who does not generally make threes making threes, is people have their nature, and the scrimmage in some ways is a quasi-practice environment. Yes, you're playing game speed. You're playing games. But 
it doesn't mean much. It's a great time to experiment, whereas Ben Simmons is going to be playing high-stakes basketball. So I hope it happens. I just think we're going to see him revert to being terrified of shooting that three, and it's probably going to really? take another offseason for him to get confident with it. I think that's your pessimism, Carson. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry to do that to you, Logan. If Ben Simmons starts shooting threes, and if Giannis hits 35% of his threes, every basketball fan will be happy because who wouldn't want to see that unless you're a Celtics fan or a Raptors fan because then you're just absolutely terrified about the East. Speaking of some of the top teams in the East, (laughs) my second bold prediction, and this is a hot one. That's going to be a play on words in one second. I think that the Heat lose the four seed. Now, I don't actually think that, but I think it's possible, and that's why it's my bold prediction. And it's pretty crazy because they're up two games on both Philly and Indiana now with just eight games left in the season. But I think that a lot of us have become aware of the fact that they've really cooled down and their record, as good of a team as they are and as balanced and deep uh, as they are and as great of a culture as they have, in the second half of the season, they're just 17 and 15, and some of their wins have seemed a little fluky. They're 8-1 and one in overtime games. Again, in that stretch, 17 and 15, which is half of the season for them, they have just the 16th best winning percentage in the league. And in the bubble, this is a key component of this. They have a brutal schedule. They go Nuggets, Raptors, Celtics, Bucks, Suns, Pacers, Thunder, Pacers. So they're underdogs in their first four games. Then they get the fully healthy Suns, who have been a really good team when they have all their guys out there. They get the red hot Thunder, who in the second half of the season have been a much better team than that. And then they get the Pacers twice. And those two Pacers games are pretty significant because, A, of seeding, obviously. The Pacers, the Pacers are the five seed right now. They're two games behind them. And then the question is, what happens with DeMontis Sabonis? Because he's left the bubble with a significant foot injury. Mm-hmm. We assume that it's related to the plantar fasciitis that was keeping him out previously. But the reason that I hold out hope is both meetings against the Pacers are at least two weeks out. So... The reason I leave it open for them is because they open with Philly, Washington, Magic, and Phoenix. The, uh, the Magic and Phoenix, the Pacers do, which really is not a tough slate. So if they go 3-1, and one, maybe even 4-0 oh in those, and then Sabonis can come back, then maybe they could even catch the Heat. But really, I think it's probably Philly because Philly's first six games are the Pacers, definitely without Sabonis, the Spurs, the Wizards, the Magic, the Blazers, and the Suns. They should be the favorites in every single one of those, and they look great with Shake Milton inserted in the starting lineup. So Philly has to do a lot because the Heat have the head-to-head over them, which means that Philly has to pass them outright. But all that means is, you know, if Philly goes 6-2 and two and Miami goes 3-5, and five, which considering their schedules and the direction that they're both trending seems very possible, then Philly takes over as the four seed. So it is foolish to put my faith in Philly yet again which is why I'm still not technically making this a Philly take. This is technically a Philly slash Indiana take, although it's definitely way more likely to be Philly. But as much as I like the Heat, I don't know. Bam and Kendrick Nunn have both tested positive for COVID. They're okay now, but they recently did. And, you know, it seems that the COVID symptoms really vary from person to person. But I know that Rudy Gobert has said that, like, he felt weird for a long time after he no longer had COVID. So, I don't know. I think the the cards are sort of coming together for the Heat to maybe lose that four seed. What do you think? I think this is a really good take by you, Carson. I, Philly, I, like you said, you, you couldn't overstate it enough. I don't want to put my faith in Philly again, yeah. but their lineup is so, like, it's, it's mouthwatering. Yeah. It makes me 
the, the Philadelphia 76ers should be such a good basketball team record-wise. And mm. it shows with – that's what scares me too. They're 29-2 and two at home, and I know this, these numbers have been, you know, sent home hard at this point. Yeah. 10 and 24 on the road. How do they play just in this bubble when it matters? Yeah, and you hope that we get a highly motivated Joel Embiid, which is not what we had at all this season. And you hope that Shake Milton in the starting lineup instead of Al Horford can correct a lot of those issues because the Horford, Simmons, Embiid, Horford, Simmons, Embiid, Harris lineups have just been really ineffective. There's just not enough spacing. It's too clunky. And I love that they made a change, and I hope that it works. So let's move on, Logan. What is your third bold prediction? My third take. Now, I don't know how hot this is because, again, I just called the Wizards a G League team. I don't think they win a game in the bubble. Mm. That, is, that is my hot take. I think they drop to Devin Booker and the Suns because they don't have anybody. They yeah. drop to Karis LeVert and the Nets. They drop – I mean, all of these games are easy losses and easy sells because the Wizards suck, and then they got to play the Sixers, the Pelicans, the Thunder, the Bucks, and I feel like a lot of, team, uh, a lot of people are sleeping immediately on the Thunder. I think Oklahoma City is a team that could easily upset a, anybody in the Western Conference mm-hmm. because they're that sneaky. Um, and then they played the Bucks, which is an immediate loss because of Giannis and potentially the Celtics. I don't see the Wizards winning a single game with their depleted lineup, and they just stink. Yeah. Well, this is a prediction that I considered making myself as well, and I think it's very possible that this happens. The reason I restrained is just because the Nets are so bad as well, and they do play <laughs> the Nets in that second game. I definitely don't think that the Nets will go winless because they I mean they have a pretty easy schedule as well. I think that they play the Magic a couple times and and they play the Kings, not to diss on the Kings cuz they're pretty healthy now for the first time in a while, so they actually could be fun. But yeah, I have no issues with this take. When you're talking about a team where, you know, Thomas Bryant and Ish Smith are your second and third leading scorers in the roster that you have right now and Rui Hachimura a largely unproven rookie is your leading scorer. There's not a lot to like there, not to mention that their real problems are defensive where they've been abysmal this entire year. And I don't foresee them getting better on that side for any reason. So I think it's just a time for them to tinker to, you know, maybe start thinking about the fact that Isaac, that Isaac Bonga isn't a starting caliber NBA player. Um, And (laughs) it's pretty funny seeing him out there starting (laughs) Maybe we can see some interesting stuff from Mo Wagner and Thomas Bryant, these skilled young big men that they have. But I'm really bummed. I'm really bummed that we don't get to see Bradley Beal. And I guess it would have been a tough sell for them to just not include a ninth Eastern Conference team. But if they had known that Bradley Beal was going to opt out, I really don't think that there would be a ninth team from the East because the Wizards have no chance, no chance of getting within four games. of the Nets or the Magic, whoever finishes the, as that eight seed. So this is a hot. This is still a hot take, just because it's hard to go zero and eight uh, under any circumstances. But when you have a depleted roster like this and you're playing a lot of really quality teams, I could totally see it happening. My third bold prediction, and I'm keeping it hot here. Dion Waiters is the third leading scorer for the Lakers down the stretch, and. Dion has become a bit of a meme. He had the incident where he took the edibles on the plane and he went to La La Land. And, you know, obviously he's <laughs> just been injury riddled for a few years. He signed the big extension a few years back, which 
has looked pretty bad, but mostly just because he's been hurt. But I mean, the reason I say this is this, it's not a very difficult task because the third person for the Lakers in double digits is Kyle Kuzma at just 12 and a half. So he just has the top 12 and a half points per game. And with Rondo out, there is now a glaring need for an, an initiator off the bench for this team. There actually was even with Rondo, but Frank Vogel was just pretending there wasn't and that Rondo was doing the job all right. And, you know, even while a guy like Kuzma can get buckets, while Alex Caruso is such a crafty scorer off the ball, a great cutter, he does a lot for you defensively, just a smart basketball player. What they really need is a guy like Waiters who can have the ball in his hands, who can go get himself a bucket and who can create for others too, because you don't want Quinn Cook or Alex Caruso. And I think Caruso is a very solid player, but he's not a primary creator in that way. You don't want those guys trying to fill that role. This is a career 13 point per game score. He's averaged at least 12 in each of his last three years. Yes, he's highly inefficient, but that's kind of his job is to just take those shots when you don't have LeBron out there to run the pick and roll with Anthony Davis He's looked solid in the scrimmages with a nine point and 12 point. Those have been his two scoring totals thus far. And he just has the skill set. You look at the shots that he's making difficult mid-range pull-ups. He's crafty. And, you know, I mean, he's the kind of guy that I would even as unpredictable and as inefficient as he can be. I would rather have the ball in his hands than a lot of these other Lakers guys who may be more solid all around players, but they don't have his skill set. His, his skill set is valuable, especially in the playoffs for a team like this. What do you think, Logan? Deion Waiters is like slow-mo Dwayne Wade. Yeah, it's like, not a bad comparison. He is pretty – He moves, he moves <laughs> slow, but he's crafty. He's got the change of pace. He's a little pudgy, though. I, 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 he's I a agree. little pudgy in the bubble. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because when I saw him moving down court to the Lakers, he was moving a little bit of weight. But, <laughs> I like Deion Waiters. I think it's a very real possibility because he's he just will have those shots yeah. able to take. So, yeah, I'll agree with you, but I, I wouldn't be trying to sell uh, our crowd on Deion Waiters' skill as a basketball player. No, it's but what it is is regardless, he's he's a bucket. You know, he doesn't do much he, else he out there well. <laughs> he doesn't do much else out there well, but he can score the rock and he will have the opportunity to take the shots. And him and Kuzma are going to be relied on a lot for that offensive production when LeBron is off the floor. So let's go back over to you, Logan. What is your fourth bold prediction? So now this contradicts my first prediction, but I, didn't, I don't think the Pelicans are going to take the eight seed because if I'm going to put my stock in anybody in the Western Conference, I, I may foolishly do it again, but I'm going to put it in the Trailblazers. Wow. I so think they're going to. So let me get this straight. You think the Blazers take the eight seed and the Pelicans take the nine seed, the Grizzlies fall out of it, and then the Pelicans beat the Blazers? Is that the take that I'm getting from you? The Pelicans beat the Blazers when? In the play-in game. Because didn't you say the Pelicans were going to be in the playoffs, or were you counting the play-in as the playoffs? No, I'm saying that I'm saying this contradicts my first take because I don't think the Pelicans are getting into the playoffs. Okay, got it. Uh, because I think this is a spicier take. Okay, all right. I saved it for later. You get know what I'm saying? We're putting I, it in the microwave now. I we're got getting it. it going. I got it. This is <laughs> we're now on the bomb. If this were hot ones, we're getting hot. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm sold on Yusuf Nurkic. Because he's what's been missing in Portland since his injury. 
you don't have nearly as many Hassan Whiteside minutes. And I cannot tell, I cannot tell you enough. I cannot stress this enough that less Hassan Whiteside minutes Mm -hmm. equals more wins. Mm -hmm. And I do think one concern for the Blazers, because I have to address the other side, a big concern is Trevor Ariza because he had a really big role on this team and he was, he's so good for efficient three and D minutes. Uh, And I think this could be what shoots this take in the foot. But if I'm going to put my stock in somebody, would I rather put it in Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, and Zion Williamson? Yes, they look good in the short time that we saw them together. I'd rather put them in the team that was in the Western Conference Finals last year in Damian Lillard, C.J. McCollum, guys with experience, and now with Yusuf Nurkic back. I think this Trailblazers team is dangerous. Um, I agree. I don't think there's anyone that would disagree with you. And I don't know if this is a hotter take than the Pelicans because the Blazers are just a – better team right now the reason you might argue it's a hotter take is because their schedule is much more difficult they go celtics rockets nuggets clippers sixers Mavs consecutively i'm not sure they're the better team in any of those six games whereas the pelicans as we already mentioned it's kind of a walk in the park um i hope that you know i don't want to forget about the grizzlies in this conversation because i do think a lot of people are piling on the pelicans blazers bandwagon just because Honestly, they are both more exciting teams to most people, I would say. And realistically, especially the Blazers, they clearly have a better roster. But the key point here is Nurkic. You know, Nurkic changes everything for this team. He was pivotal for them during last year's regular season. He had like a plus 13 on off splits, which is comparable to only, you know, Giannis this year, I think, which meaning that The Blazers were 13 points per 100 possessions better with him on the floor than off the floor. That's pretty ridiculous. He has looked really good out there. He took five threes yesterday, which is really out of character for him, but is super intriguing, especially when you're talking about playing him alongside a guy like Zach Collins, who is also coming back from injury. They were both expected to be out for the season. Collins is versatile defensively. He has shown flashes of that floor spacing. And I would definitely be interested in seeing those two paired together. And then the thing is, that census on white side of the bench, as it should, but he's kind of a diva. Does he throw a fit there? And then how many minutes does Mello lose from the Zach Collins edition? Because as far as contributions to winning, Mello can definitely outproduce him on the offensive side of the ball, but he also needs more touches. He might not be a better pure floor spacer at this point. We don't know exactly what Zach Collins is as a shooter. He shot well in the three games he played before he got injured, and he's always had that touch. So I'm really excited to watch this team. I don't think we should forget that they, you know, did beat a really good Nuggets team in seven last year, and I don't necessarily think that they were the better team in that series, but they gutted it out. It was brutal. They have the experience, and they just got their clear a clear top three player on their team back. A lot of people said last year that Nurkic was a more valuable player to them winning than CJ McCollum. And as much as I love CJ, I think there's a case to be made. Nurkic is great. So I, I honestly just can't wait to see this race for the play-in. And then also whoever faces off against, I really would assume that the Grizzlies hold on to the eight seed just because they're up by, what is it? Three and a half games. That's pretty comfortable, but it's definitely going to be exciting to see who challenges them. So now I will give my fourth bold prediction, and it is in the same vein as one of yours. We clearly both got a little bit too excited about some scrimmage results, but personally, I love that. That's what these bold predictions are here for. We haven't had basketball for four months. We've been starved, and now we can overreact. Mine is, I'd say it's pretty hot. 
DeAndre Ayton will make five or more threes in the eight remaining bubble games. Yes. And the reason this is so hot is, you know, maybe you're listening to that thinking, well, that's just a little bit more than a three every other game. If you're a listener, Logan, I know that you're well aware of this fact because exactly. He's never made an NBA three. He just made one um, yesterday and it was, uh, I mean, he looked really confident. He just pulled a three from the corner off the inbound. And, you know, this is the ultimate time to tinker and try stuff out for the Suns because most teams in the bubble are legitimately contending for the playoffs. That is their objective. That's the reason why they're there. The exceptions would be, I would say, the Wizards, Spurs, and Suns. Those are teams who are far enough out where it's not really realistic. The Suns are 26 and 39. <laughs> so, you know, I want to see DeAndre Ayton try new stuff. He's been afraid to take the three. He's only attempted three in 30 games this season, only took four in all of last season. But in college, he took one three a game, made 34% of them. A quarter of his shots already come from mid-range. 10% of them come from 16 feet to the three-point line. Those are deep mid-range jumpers that he can just turn into threes. And I think that if he does that, he can certainly hit a decent clip of them. So, you know, I mean, this is the reason that some people were saying early in the season that Aaron Baines was more valuable than DeAndre Ayton. And DeAndre Ayton came back, played really well, and I think disproved that. But it was the floor spacing. Aiden has improved so much as a two-way player now at this point. He's always been such a dynamic, imposing athlete. He has natural touch. And, you know, he likes the face-up game, mid-range jumper a little too much right now. And I think that what most smart NBA people will tell you is, if you like taking the pretty jump shots, then just step a few feet further back and make it a three. So you're the one who made me aware of the fact that he had never made an NBA three. So what do you think? Is this possible? I love this take. I think that we're watching Aiden, as you said. He became – another aspect of Baines was, you know, he played better defense than Aiden, mm-hmm. and Aiden stepped up defensively. Mm-hmm. He's, as you said, this promise – when I saw the shot from the corner, I just saw it as I was scrolling through my feet on Instagram, mm-hmm. watching him hit the three. My mouth – my jaw hit the floor. I couldn't yeah. believe it. Aiden yeah. had finally hit a three, so – yeah, I love it. I'm I'm excited to see, and their schedule is easy enough to where they are going to run the, a little bit more of the offense through him, especially also without Kelly Oubre. Um, mm-hmm. I love the take, and I am excited to watch what the Suns are going to do, especially after watching them, you know, in person, of, you know, last year or yeah. this year. And it's never made sense that he hasn't had the three, just considering how comfortable he is shooting for mid range, how he shot the three pretty well in college, and I really. I don't see why now isn't the time to add this to your game if you're playing for the Suns where these games are almost less consequential than regular season games because you know that you're really in all likelihood not going to make the playoffs. So just experiment. Just try new things. And for DeAndre Ayton, that means making five or more threes. So, Logan, I'm going to throw it over to you. What is your final bold prediction for the NBA restart? Okay, Carson, you can call this one foolish optimism. But okay. Luke Walden is such a horrendous coach. He's fired in Orlando. Oh, my God. No way. But, I, but okay, give me the, the take. The get thumped in back-to-back games against the Mavericks and the Pelicans, at which point Vlade Divac steps out and says, Luke, I'm tired of you riding your father's coattails. You flat-out stink, boy. Go home. And then at that point, Vlade puts Igor in charge. We leave Orlando, and we move on to the draft. Bye-bye, Luke. Wow. Um. It's incredibly bold. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, got a, I, got a, I got like a, uh, 
it's just a gut feeling. I don't know. Something told me when I was about to go to bed the other night, it said, hey, man, Luke's getting fired in the bubble. I mean, we can all hope and pray it would be the best thing for the Sacramento Kings franchise. It's unfortunate that they, you know, that this is his, that uh, this is his first year there and that he's still got all that time left on the contract. And the other thing I would say is, their schedule's easy enough where I'm not sure that they'll actually lose that many games. They start Spurs, Magic, Mavs, Pels, Nets. That's not a brutal schedule. And then they play the Pelicans again. And the Pelicans are a good team, obviously, but in the scheme of the bubble, they're not all that great. And the Kings are just now getting pretty much fully healthy except for Marvin Bagley. So I see where it's coming from as a Sacramento no, the, Kings you're supporter. Right. The, the, the counter to the take, you're exactly right. The Kings, relatively to other teams in the bubble, are pretty healthy. Yeah. I actually think a, a more realistic take is probably that the Kings actually win a few games and make a, you know, a push to the nine seed. Yeah. Well, I thought about making that one of my bold predictions. I just think it's tough because they're just not as good of a team as the Blazers or the Pelicans. They're just not, but the schedule has opened up in a way that there is like a slight possibility in the back of my mind where I'm thinking with Buddy Heald calling off the bench, they've been so much better. They're 13 and seven since they made that move. They've been a top 12 team on both sides of the ball by offensive and defensive rating. So there's intrigue there, but you have to be cautiously optimistic with the Sacramento Kings from both ends as far as how well they'll play basketball and as far as how well Vlade Divac in Vivek Ranadive handle the basketball decision-making because historically they've done pretty poorly with both of them, even when things have looked exciting for a moment. So I like to take Logan. I just really, really don't think it's going to happen, but I know that it's, I know that it's a dream and I respect (laughs) that. My, (laughs) you're going to (laughs) laugh. You're going to laugh at my fifth bold prediction because it is so inconsequential compared to the rest of the ones we've been talking about. We've been talking about coaches getting fired, Who's going to make the playoffs? Who's going to explode? You're genuine. I think you might laugh. My fifth bold prediction is that Terrence Ferguson is played out of the Thunder's rotation. And (laughs) that is basically the only thing that I could think of after, you know, pouring over all the team's schedules and all the potential people I could imagine going crazy. I was just like, there's only eight games left, so I can't predict anything crazy as far as people competing for the one seed or anything. And I just genuinely believe this. And I'm going to give you the case. And I don't know if you're going to fight me on this, but I'm going to give you the case either way. So obviously, the Thunder have been terrible at the wings for a couple years now. Terrence Ferguson is in his second year as their primary starter. He started every game he played in last year. And he then started the first 36 games of this year. But he's been trending downwards. He's only started one of his last 14 games. And there's a reason for that. He's not very good. He averages four a game on 37% shooting and 30% from three. And during the scrimmages, he started to get reduced action. He's played 16 total minutes over two games, which is fifth amongst uh, the wings that are competing for that starting spot. And then also for minutes as a backup. And there's a couple reasons I think this will happen. First of all, you have Hamadou Diallo, who is healthy. You have Lou Dort who is a relatively new addition, who has started a lot of games for the Thunder as of late, and who I think they probably are planning on starting again. You have Darius Basley, who has been playing pretty well. I went in between Basley and Baisley there. It is Basley. Um, I prefer Baisley, so I went Baisley. Uh, You have Andre Robertson, who's back after two years being God knows where, Mm -hmm. somewhere in an abyss, who 
remarkably made two big-time threes in the last minute of their game against the Sixers and is three of four from three overall. I just think when you look at breaking it down individually, guy by guy, Lou Dort has honestly played well as a starter for them, and he's looked good in the two scrimmages. He's a dog on defense. He's a bully on straight-line drives. He has decent passing instincts, and he's not a non-shooter. He's not a great shooter. He's got that weird high-arcing shot that there's just a large margin for error with, but Terrence Ferguson hasn't been a great shooter. He's a 3-and-D guy who's shooting 30% from three when that's his, his complete value, so I'd rather get Lou Dort who does more little things and does more all around. And then you have Basley, who's just a more fluid scorer, still has a seven-foot wingspan so he can make plays on the defensive end. You have Robertson, who obviously has been all defense before. And if he can continue to hit threes, as I mentioned, he's three of four thus far. It's a really small sample size, but you have to get excited about that stuff when you haven't had basketball for months and you haven't seen this guy for a couple years. And then Hamadou Diallo, I guess, would be the one who's most likely to not play. But I just think... He has more offensive explosiveness. He's still a dog on defense, and he has a freakish 6'11 wingspan, and he's just a superb athlete. So <laughs> to me, Terrence Ferguson is just, honestly, he's maybe been the worst NBA starter these past two years, and he's been on a really good team. So I've had enough. I'm fed up. I think that some people still like the name because he was such an exciting high school prospect. Then he went to – Australia or New Zealand or wherever the hell he went and he did nothing and he's come back here and he's done nothing again. And I'm ready for Lou Dort and Darius Basley and Andre Robertson and Hamadou Diallo to take those minutes away from him. That's a piping hot take. You don't get that anywhere other than nerd sesh. What do you think, Logan? I mean, I think your, your statement about him being the worst starter in the NBA is a very good one because Mm -hmm. Ferguson, I fell in love with him in the draft, and you're right. You're exactly right on off count. Ferguson out of the draft, what can he do? And I remember it so distinctly. He can shoot threes a little bit. He can mm-hmm. jump out of the building and dunk. And he mm-hmm. can play a little defense. Well, you look mm-hmm. at his numbers, 29.7% for behind the arc this season, 372 total field goal percentage. And you look at the Thunder's roster. Lou Dort, as you said, a better defensive and three guy than him. Andre mm-hmm. Robertson showing potential to shoot threes. We know he's a better defensive player than Ferguson. And Diallo. Mm-hmm. Well, Diallo can dunk better than you, Terrence. So why are you still getting minutes? <laughs> it's a very good take. And I love Terrence Ferguson. But I've, because I, I told myself during the draft, he's going to play with Russell Westbrook. And, oh, it's going to be awesome. The Thunder are going to be sick. But it, yeah. I lied to myself because Terrence Ferguson sucks. You did lie to yourself. And the thing with him is, when he shoots 36.6% from three, like he did last year, you can keep him on the floor. When he shoots 29.7%, why would you not put another guy who just gives you more elsewhere? And, you know, I don't have problems with him as a defensive player. I think he does relatively well there. I just think Lou Dor is much more imposing physically. Andre Robertson, obviously, is on another level. And then Hamadou and Basley, I just think, are better offensive players. So, that's a piping hot take for me. And that's going to do it. We got five from each of us. Logan, I'm honestly just really excited to get back to watching meaningful basketball. We have Pelicans, Jazz, and then we have Lakers, Clippers in just three days now, and I cannot wait for it. But this is how we're kicking off season two. We're going to, going forward, not this week, but going forward, we're going to do two podcasts a week, and then hopefully uh, with Blaze Radio, we'll be doing a live show again some way, somehow, remotely from our computers. But that's going to do it for us here today. I've been Carson Brabber. I have been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Session.